Good morning. All right, you guys are awake. Earlier it was good morning and it was... Uh. So, but welcome. Glad you're here with us. If you're here watching or if you're online, we are so thankful that you're here with us today. Um, just diving into Scripture. If you have a Bible, you can actually open it up. Uh, page 202 in the Pew Bible, we're going to be spending time in 1 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 16, uh, really focusing on a few verses in here, but we're going to be reading uh, 16, 4 through 13 uh, today. So I'll give you a second to get there. Um, there's no slides, so we're going to focus just on the text. Uh, diving in and looking it up, there's a lot of verses to, to look at. So if you have a Bible, open it up and, and spend time here with us. We're going to be talking about the inner man and the outer man. Looking at what God sees and what we see and how we handle those and why we look at those things. So let's dive in here. It says in 1 Samuel, it says, Samuel did, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peacefully? And he said, Peace, peaceably I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as the man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and appointed him in the midst of his brothers, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Father, we just want to commit this time to you, commit this time of diving into your word. I pray that as we look at passages and we look at scripture and we hear your words today, I pray that you'll just continue to open our hearts to what we here to what we can apply. Pray that your name will be elevated in this today, Lord. Amen. So some of you know the Chiquita banana, right? Raise your hand, you know that. It's a banana, yellow, those types of things. Um, you eat it, right? It's a fruit. But in 1944, Americans were unfamiliar with this fruit. This was a new exotic fruit that was being imported into America and we didn't know what it was really, right? We had to be taught when to eat it, right? We had to be taught how to eat it. And if you're familiar with the Chiquita banana, there's a jingle about it. And it was written to help us, right? It was played back in 1944, 376 times a day on the radio. That's how unfamiliar we were with the banana, right? Today, it seems like it's natural. It's here. We have it. There's several in probably most of our houses, right? But it was one of the most successful commercial jingles of all time. 
And what it was was the Chiquita Banana. I'm not going to sing it for you. All right. You'll be very sad, some of you. Some of you are blessed that I'm not going to sing it. Um, majority of you are blessed that I will not sing it. Um, but it said, I'm Chiquita Banana. See, I can't even say it. I'm Chiquita Banana, and I've come to say bananas have to ripen in a certain way. Right? We had to be taught when they were ripe, when to eat them. Many of us love it when it's yellow. Right? It's that bright yellow color. It looks delicious. It's not green. Right? It's ripe. We feel that that's like kind of the peak of it. And if that's what we feel, that's the peak of it, we're wrong. The banana has to get to the point where it's flecked with brown spots. It has that similar golden hue, but it has to be flecked with spots. Well, it doesn't look very appetizing at that point. It looks like it's going bad. But that's what they were teaching us is that this is the way that it tastes the best. When it doesn't look the best, it tastes the best. We were looking at the appearance of the banana and thinking differently than what actually was underneath. This happens a lot of times in life. I used to work in the security industry and used to work and have to watch people all day, coming and going, employees or shoppers, and and would watch them and and watch their actions, watch to see um, if they were stealing or not, suspicious or not. Um, Usually within a minute of a customer walking in, Um, You'd be able to tell by something they did whether you should spend more time watching them or go to somebody else. Um, You would read their actions, not necessarily what they looked like, but maybe what they were doing, right? What they were outwardly doing. Maybe they're paying attention to employees more and customers more than they are to what they're actually picking up off the racks. Maybe they're picking things off the rack, not paying any attention to to the size, the color, or what they're actually grabbing. Um, These are telling signs that they're a little suspicious. There's something that's not quite right there, and we would watch them a little longer. The employees were a little bit more difficult to outwardly watch, but even they would be more concerned about people around them, other employees and those types of things. And we would make an observations from their outward actions. We had no idea if they were just anxious or nervous or you know, never been shopping before or maybe something happened. But we would watch their outward actions and then decide on whether to spend time watching them. Many of us sitting here today got ready, right? All of us spent some time this morning getting ready. Some of us more than others. Some of us spent time, you know, maybe showering, shaving, whatever it is, um, styling their hair, um, doing their hair, putting makeup on. But majority of us spent time in the bathroom getting ready this morning. Did you know that the bathroom hogging goes to female college graduates in between ages of 18 and 29. They spend more than an hour getting ready before they go out. Now, if you're not in that age group or that area, maybe you spend a little less, but majority of Americans spend between 11 and 30 minutes a day getting ready before we go out. We spend that much time deciding on what we're going to wear, Choosing whether we look good, whether we should style our hair differently, whether we should put on makeup. Um, There's 182 makeup brands that are owned by seven companies. It's crazy to try to pick out that much stuff, right? But we spend that time getting ready and focused on how we're going to present ourselves to the world, how we're going to present ourselves to people. I spent time this morning trying to decide on what shirt I would wear and, and how that would look. So I'm 
guilty as well. And it's not a bad thing. We want to look good. We want to be presentable. If I came up here in cut-off jeans and a tank top, probably have a different feeling, a different view of, of who was going to be up here, and you'd probably want somebody else to come up. All right? But we spend time getting ready. We spend time focused on our outward appearance. That adds up to about a week, a year, that we spend time focused on getting ready. It doesn't sound like a lot of time, but it's a lot of time that we try to get ourselves presentable to others. It could be for approval. It could be for work. It could be so that we can make more, do more, progress. But it's our outward that we're trying to get people to see. We're trying to change the outward appearance of what we look like. We're not the only ones. The Bible talks about many times that they were focused on the outward appearance of people. They focused on the outer man. They got caught up in what, it, what people looked like or what people were doing. There's also, so as long as I found out that there's a mirror test. At 18 months, scientists say that a baby can recognize themselves in the mirror. They recognize that they're looking at themselves. They recognize that they're looking back and they interact. And from there on out, from 18 months on, we, from time to time, probably daily, look at the mirror, look at ourselves to see whether we look good, to see whether our hair's done right. Is it in the right place? Do I need to move it? Right? We spend time putting, you know, brushing our teeth or brushing our hair, putting on outfits. Right? We spend a lot of time looking at the mirror from about 18 months old on. We get focused on how we look. Or maybe you're not a mirror person. Maybe you're a lawn guy. Right? You look and you go and you see your lawn and maybe your lawn's, maybe it's really green and you're like, yeah, I got, I got that lawn. Right? I'm that guy with the lawn in the neighborhood. Everyone's got lawn envy. Um, and it's not, I'm not, if that's you, I'm not knocking you. I cut lawns, so I, I enjoy having a nice lawn. I enjoy people having nice lawns. Um, but if you come to my house, my lawn looks trashed. My kids, the neighborhood kids, and their friends, cousins, brothers, whoever they are, they all come and play on my lawn and my neighbor's lawn. So it just is torn apart. There are bare spots. Um, and I, at times, have to check myself because I want that nice green lawn. I see it in other places, and I see how people are outwardly look in their lawns, and it looks great. And I have to shift my focus from that outward jealousy of their lawns to an inward, what am I really thinking about here? It's about how I look. It's about how I'm perceived. It's about how people view me. We're not the only ones, right? We can dive into the text here today, and here it says we have Samuel doing the exact same thing. Samuel, a prophet of God, one of the greatest prophets in his time, does this. Has the same thought. In 1 Samuel 16, we see Samuel the prophet going to anoint a new king. Right? God commanded Samuel to do that, to go to Bethlehem, to go anoint him. Saul has been disobedient and fall out of favor of the Lord, so Samuel's going. Samuel's obedient. He follows what the God is telling him, where he's sending him. He brings a heifer right, to go sacrifice to the Lord, to have a sacrificial um, ceremony, and then to have a feast afterwards once he anoints the king. And he goes to the Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, to anoint one of his sons. This is God's command for him to do this. And he is following it. It says, when you go there, invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you who to anoint. I will show you who to anoint. Not you'll choose, but I will show you who to anoint. 
Sounds like it's pretty straightforward, right? Sounds like it should be basic. Go there. Jesse's going to bring his, ki- his kids there. You're gonna choo- you're, I'm going to show you which one to choose. Um, it would be easier if kind of a light just shined on over him. It would be, make it that much easier for Samuel. But I'm going to show you who to choose. It's not you, it's me. God's going to show him. He's gonna, the future king will be there. You'll anoint him. They'll have a dinner and a good time. Right? Sounds plain, simple, straightforward. Samuel enters the city, gives an explanation of what he's doing, makes sure the elders are at peace. Um, and then they're coming and bringing him, right? In verse 6, we see Jesse's sons arriving. Right? We see Jesse coming. He brings his kids. It says, Samuel saw them and took notice of Eliab, right? The oldest, the first one there. As Eliab approaches, Samuel thinks to himself, surely the, anoids, the Lord's anointed stands here before me. Even Samuel Right, sees that outer picture of him and makes a judgment call. Right, says, you know what, this has got to be the guy. Right, I've anointed a king, one, before this. I kind of know what I'm looking for. I see this guy. He's probably big, muscular, strong, looks good, handsome. Right, that's king material. After all, that's what Saul looked like. Right, Samuel, in 1 Samuel 9, we see that that's how Saul is being described. It says that, and he had a son, Kish had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the other people. The first king, Samuel, anoints is this guy who's, that no one's handsome, more handsome than him in all the land, and he's taller than everybody else. This is king material, right? This is what Samuel must be thinking. This is how God chooses a king. He's got to be the best looking. He's got to be bigger than people. He's got to be stronger than people. Right? This is kingship. This is king material. Samuel pulls out his list, goes down it, and goes, yeah, check, 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 check. He's got all of them. He's got all the characters that I saw in the first king. He's got them in this king. He's got them in this person. Right? He's there. He makes a jump to conclusion that Eliab is the next king. He looks the part. Must be him. Now if we put ourselves in, our, in his shoes and we see that God says, nope, it's not him. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. And I'm sure this must have thrown Samuel for a loop. Right? All right, it's not that one. And then goes through the list and the list and the list. And I'm sure Samuel is thinking of Eliab and he's thinking, God, are you sure? Have you seen him in person? Because he looks at, you made him, but have you seen him, right? You're up there, you're not, he's, you're not right here in front of me with him, right? Have you seen him? Are you sure this is not your guy? This looks like him. This has got to be your guy. But it doesn't match up with what God's standard is or with what God is viewing and looking at. Everything looks good from Samuel's perspective. But we hear that God looks deeper than that. Or maybe we jump a couple verses forward and we look at Saul's perspective of people. Right? Saul continues to look at the outward appearance of people. We see that David is sent from his dad to deliver some food to his brothers. Right? Cheese and bread. They're going to make grilled cheese sandwiches. And he's tasked with bringing news home from the battle to tell his father what is going on, what is happening out there. 
So he goes, he delivers, he drops off the food to the right people, he kind of, to the right people, he meanders over to the front line, kind of starts hearing people talk, right? And as soon as the men start to talk, right, this guy steps out of the opposing army ranks. Looks kind of big. Looks kind of intimidating, right? Goliath steps out, shouts, challenges, and defies the Israel army and their king. David hears this and gets curious and thinks, he's probably a little frustrated, right? David, who has, we see, focused on God, is probably getting a little frustrated that no one's stepping up, right? And then he hears that this person's been doing this for 40 days and no one has stepped up. No one has, it seems like, consulted the Lord on what to do. The Philistine was cursing their God and defying their God. In 1 Samuel 17, 23 through 24, we see it happening. He says, As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Outward focused, again, this group of people that is there, God's people, the Israelite army, is running and hiding from this person based on his outer appearance. They focused on the size of the man and the strength of the man and not on what God could do through them. They didn't focus on God being in their inner man, but they focused on the outer. They looked at themselves and they were afraid. They were outward focused. David steps up and says, this is my paraphrase, don't lose hope, don't lose any more sleep because of Goliath. I got him, I can take him, right? He's mine, I got this, right? We think that at some times in things, right? I got this, I can do this, right? David's thinking, right? So it must make everyone happy, right? We see this outward focus and then David doesn't, David looks past this and sees what God can do and says, I got this. God, you got this. Everyone's got to be happy at this point. But Saul says, and Saul said to David, you're not, to, you're not going against this guy. You can't fight this Philistine and win. Right? For you're a youth, you're a child, you're a little boy. And he's been a man of war from his youth. I'm seeing your appearance and you do not look like a warrior. This guy's nine and a half feet tall, and you're a child. What's that going to look like to us? What's that going to look like from their perspective? They're going to think we're sending kids out to fight now. Saul is outwardly focused on David's stature. You're not man enough to fight him. David goes on to tell him, if we've heard the story of the lion and the bear, right? David's like, no, no, you're... you're don't focus on that. Don't focus on what I look like, but let me tell you what God has done. Let me tell you how God's prepared me for this. Right? It would have been great and awesome to sit there as David steps up and says, you know what, Saul? Let me tell you about this lion and this bear. Well, one day, Sean the sheep got lost. And, right? and he starts telling it, and it would just be amazing to hear that David fought a lion and a bear. And I'm sure the perspective and the tone of that tent would have changed. 
Right? David's entire time right now has been focused on the Lord working through him. It's not focused on the army. It's not focused on the giant. It's focused on God. Saul agrees, says, says, all right, David, you can be the one. I trust you right now, right? He even says to him, go and the Lord be with you, right? That's like encouragement. Go and the Lord be with you, right? But we got to dress you up a little bit. I still can't get over the fact that you look like a child, so I'm going to give you my armor. I'm going to make you look better than you are, I'm going to dress you in a king's armor so you look presentable to the enemy. So that we look like we've got it together as an army. So that we look like we got it going on. That we can handle this. That we can battle. That we can fight. That we're not sending just a shepherd out there with a sling. But that we're sending somebody that has armor on them, has a sword with them, to take on this champion. Saul, even though he says, the Lord be with you, still focuses on the appearance and the outward of the man. He's still focused on others' perspective. So he dresses him up. It says, then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. David told Saul, I cannot go with these. I haven't tested them. I don't know them. They're unfamiliar. I'm uncomfortable. Saul kept being focused on the outward appearance of things. We get to be that same way. We can focus in our lives on the giants that are before us, the tasks that are at hand. Maybe we get focused on the things that are out of our control, and we get outwardly focused on the things that are happening around us. Or maybe we get outwardly focused on how we look to those around us. What are they seeing? Goliath also sees David as a boy. David goes out there with a sling. We know the story. Goes out there looking like a boy. Why isn't they sending a king? Why aren't they sending a warrior? Why aren't they sending a man? They send a boy. So many times in this short amount of scripture, we see the people of God focused on the outward appearance of things. So many times we see them being called into question about what they're looking at, what they're seeing. Like I said, we get focused on this. We get focused on how people dress or how we dress, maybe the job they have or the car they drive, maybe the house they live on, the area they live in, maybe the cool gadgets they have, the shoes they wear, the new iPhone X that they just got and tell you your 7 isn't good enough anymore. I have phone envy of Mike, I'm sorry. We get wrapped up in what society tells us we need to have to look good. We get wrapped up in what society sends light on to say this is what you need to look and present yourself as. We get so caught up in those things. Society tells us what we need to buy next, what the coolest new gadgets are. And if we have them, we look cool to people. If we have the newest stuff, we must be popular or cool. Or my Instagram gets the most likes, so I must be important. I still can't figure out how to post a picture. 
more popularity, more friends online. These are things that we all strive for from time to time because we want approval from who we are, what we look like. We want that outward perspective approving us. We want people around us to approve us in how we look. Then there's also the way we portray ourselves. We portray ourselves in the outer so people can see us in a different light. We try to be more than we're not. We try to step up in things that we shouldn't. We try to dress better than we are because we're scared that if people see who I really am, what they would think. So we think that those things will make a lot different bigger difference in our life if I have cooler clothes, popular things. If I start going to the gym, if I work out more, I'll be cooler, I'll look better, I'll look different. David did these things as well. In 1 Samuel 21, we see David in a different light. It's not the glamorous, giant-slaying person here, but it's the on-the-run, fugitive person running from a crazed Saul trying to kill him. And we see David acting differently. In the middle of this, we see David portrays himself in ways that he is not in things that he isn't. At Nob, there David lies to the priests, portrays himself that he is on this mission from the king, this important secretive mission, so that he can have the bread and be safe. Another time we see him acting when he's in Gath, right, where Goliath came from. He wanders there, runs there, flees there, and he's in the courts of King Achish, and he starts acting like a crazy person. Starts drooling and scratching at the doors and acting insane to the point where they let him go. And we look at him and we go, well, he, was, he wants to survive, right? but he portrays himself as something different for his benefit. We do that. We portray ourselves to other people for our benefit. When it benefits us, we work at looking better. The great philosophical lyrics of Christina Aguilera, it's the beautiful people they want, it's the beautiful people they love. And we buy into that. As a people, we buy in that we have to look better, that we have to present ourselves better, to the fact that there are over 38,477 gyms in the U.S. That's gone up since 2008. 2012, there was 5,500. So in a span of seven years... Actually, in a span of really, this was in 2017, 2018, in a span of six years, it's increased sixfold. That's how much we value our outer appearance. That's how much value we put on what we look like. The fact that Planet Fitness, not knocking Planet Fitness, right, I've been there, 25 cents down and $10 a month. Right? You get this great deal to come be a member at our gym, to use all our stuff. It's the gym for you. And you're able to go there, get healthier, look good. And it's not bad, but it's when we focus on our outward as an idol, we lose 
the focus on the inner. There are 40 best diet plans that over 40 million Americans buy into. And I'm not knocking this. But we elevate things to more than they need to be so that we can look better. Decide to do a Google search to see what got returned the highest. Right? Fitness, 3 billion return links to click on for fitness. Diets, 1.2 billion. Beauty, 5.8. Latest fashion, 6.7 billion. Then I jumped down and I said, you know what? What about stuff that's inward focused? Jesus gets 1.2 billion, which is pretty good. It's up there. How to get to heaven, 341 million. Bible studies, 218 million. It seems like a lot. But in comparison to what the outward focus is versus our inward focus, we know where we're paying the most attention at most of the time. It's all in how I look. So it's all great that I know this, but we need to start shifting our thinking. We need to shift to our inner man. And the point on the back goes to this. We need to see God's perspective. How does God view us? Or what does God see about us? Does he look at just our outer appearance? And if we go to verse 7 in this, it tells us this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks deeper, right? He looks past our clothes. He looks past our shoes. He looks past what we drive in our house. And he looks at our hearts because he wants to use us. In Psalm 139, verse 13, it says, For you were formed, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God created us. God put us together. He knows what's inside of us. He knows what is there. He knows how to use it. Are we spending as much time on our inner being? Are we spending as much time building our hearts towards the Lord as we are in how we look and how well we present ourselves? He knows us. He knew Eliab's heart. And he saw more than Samuel ever could by just looking at him. We see that in 1 Samuel 17, 28, we see that Eliab burns with anger towards David. Right? This is something that Samuel didn't see walking up to him. But this is something that God knows is in his heart. It says that he burned with anger. It's deeper than just surface level. God gets deeper. And many times we need God to penetrate our inner spiritual hearts deeper. Not just surface level, but to get deeper with God. To change us and to shape us from the inside out. It doesn't just look good to dress up on the outside if nothing is inside. I can look the best in the world, maybe, but if my inside isn't there, if 
I don't have God in my heart, if Jesus isn't working, if the Holy Spirit isn't transforming me, then it doesn't matter how I dress. It's all just going to wilt away anyway. But for so many of us, we want that quick fix. Right? We want the gym membership. We don't want to go, but we still want to change. We diet so we can change. We want that quick fix spiritually. We want something that comes quick. That's why we invented the microwave, because we want it now. And many times, I think with our walks, we want it now without the hardships, without the difficulties that comes with the changing of our inner beings. But growth takes time. Right? We need to let God into our lives. We need to forget about the outside. Please continue to shower and brush your teeth and do all those things. But we need to shift our focus. Right? We need to start picking up our Bible and spending more time with God than we do in the mirror. We need to take a shift and a focus back to his word so that we can dive in and know what he desires in our lives. What he has planned for us. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I know at times this is a struggle for us is seeking him with all of our hearts because we're distracted by so many things. There's also a fear that creeps in with this is because when I hear that God knows my inner being, he knows my heart, but he also knows my sin. He also knows my fears, my struggles. He knows those things that no one else knows. And it's a challenge to us because we want to curl up and hide when people know those things. But we see here what God does with those things. God knows David. He just doesn't see David in those moments, but he has a clear picture of David's entire life. He knit him together. He knew him. And we have the ability to look at the Bible as a whole and we get to see the mistakes, the sins, the mess-ups, the breakdowns, the dysfunction that we see in the people that God uses, in the Peters, the Pauls, the Davids, the disciples that fall asleep, the betrayal of Judah, of Judas' betrayal of Jesus. God doesn't have a limited view on David, and he doesn't have a limited view on us. He knows your heart, he knows your sin, and yet he still wants to use you. He still wants to change you and to shape us. He still desires us to come to know him. The Bible doesn't hide those things. It elevates those so that we can relate and say, you know what, God used those people, he can use me. But first, I need to shift back to focusing on him. I need to shift back to the cross. Last week we talked about Easter and the culminating of Passion Week where Jesus dies for our sins. He knows all of them and he still went to the cross for them. He still said, Father, forgive them. God knows we need Jesus, so he sent them, him as a gift to us. He knows our sin, he knows our hearts, he knows we need Jesus. And we see it in Matthew 4, 4, he says, but he answered, 
it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God knows what we need. God knows how much we need this inner change in our lives. He knows how much we need to get to that point of saying, God, I need you. Come in and change me, shape me. Continue the growth in me. And he desires us to spend some time focusing on him. We need to shift our focus from the outward to the inward. We need to shift our focus from seeing what other people are doing or maybe how other people are or maybe their walks are better than mine. But I need to shift my focus and say, you know what, I need to get into Scripture. I need to get into God's Word. I need to get into the Bible. I need to plug in so that I can grow. This shift, this change, takes us stepping up and saying it. This change takes time but it takes us to desire that. Desire my inside to look good more than my outside. To let myself fall apart a little bit on the outside and not look my best, but to know that my inside, to know that my heart is right with God and is growing. It's willing to take that shift in our lives. Jesus calls out the Pharisees because they have whitewashed, they're like whitewashed tombs. They look great on the outside, but they're rotting on the inside. I want us to shift our focus to be good, to be focused on Jesus, to be growing on the inside, and to be focused more on that than on what I present or how I appear or what other people think. Our focus needs to be inward on the Lord, working in our hearts, than outward on dressing up. God desires our hearts. He sees what's there and he continues to want to use it. Are you willing to open it up to him? Are you willing to forgo what other people see for a little while or forever to be right with God? Father, we praise you and glorify you and lift your name above all others. It's difficult not to look like we have it all together. It's difficult to let ourselves and let others know that we are falling apart a little bit or we are struggling. But I pray that our shift, our focus becomes inwardly to what you're doing in our lives and what you desire to do in each of our hearts. so that we can be more like you every day. Challenge us with these next steps to take. Impress them on our hearts, Lord, so that we know the direction to go towards you. In your heavenly name, amen. You are dismissed.